Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello. Thank you for listening to another episode of Motherhood Exposed. And if this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for joining. I'm really excited to introduce today's guest, Molly Forbes, as we discuss something very close to my heart, children's body image. Molly is a writer, speaker, podcaster and body image campaigner. She's using her platform to raise awareness and hopefully bring change to the normality of the diet culture within our society and how it is seeping into the everyday lives of our children from a very young age. Molly is paving the way to create body-happy spaces for kids to thrive in. She is supporting us as adults to help our children to celebrate normal bodies. This is so intrinsically important to every single one of us, whether we're a parent or not. So grab a coffee, maybe a pen and paper too, and let's get started. Hi Molly, thank you so, so, so much for joining me today. Um, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. And how, how is the UK? Because we're just um, going into Christmas and lockdown has just finished. Um, is it all starting? What tier are you in? We are tier two. Okay, like most so, of the... Yeah. Yeah, so we're down in Devon, and, oh, okay. and it's sort of yeah. So it's not it's not too it's not too bad. We've been quite lucky. We haven't had like I've got some family who are up in the northwest, and yes. they've been under like really tough height restrictions mm-hmm. for you know most of the pandemic. So yeah, we haven't really had to had it too bad down here comparatively. Good, good. And how, yeah. how's the general vibe? Are things are people feeling optimistic? Because I I've just seen that Margaret got her vaccine. <laughs> The oh, do you know? Love I listened. I listened. To, yeah, I love Margaret. I listened to that this morning, and I thought I could just imagine being Margaret. And I thought, wouldn't it be brilliant if, like, she's like ninety odd, isn't she? She's ninety two. Yeah, and she's like the first person in the UK to have a vaccine. I just would love it if she just went out clubbing <laughs> and just like went out right. You know, like I'm free, freedom. She's yeah. been in isolation since March. Just imagine her leaving that hospital, going out. You know, <laughs> in the nightclub. God love going, her. you know just going mad yeah. yeah yeah it's I think there's a real sense of um I mean I'm quite an optimistic person but this year has tested Everybody. my optimistic yeah. my optimism big time um but I feel like there's a sense of hope um I haven't really lost sight of that feeling of hope throughout to be honest but mm-hmm. it feels now like there is I mean, I know it's such a cliche light at the end of the tunnel, but no, it does feel yeah. a bit like that. No, I um, agree. I think people have got something to aim for now. Um, yeah. Like a goal to, to get their vaccine and hopefully then it will mean a bit more freedom for everyone and a bit more um, inverted commas with um, normality. And yeah. who knows? Um, we're waiting for our, we've got um, my great, what was she, my grandma-in-law, I suppose you call her um yeah. will be 100 next year um so we're waiting for her to get it um hopefully soon as well and then 
the family in the UK can start to visit with here. Yeah, she'll be <laughs> Larging it up, won't they? Yeah. <laughs> B&T in the hand. <laughs> right. um, uh, yeah. I tend to start my podcast with um, the same question, uh, which is how you met your um, your husband. Oh, gosh, you know, it's like the least glamorous original story ever. It was in, So it was 2008. I lived in Reading in Berkshire in the UK. I just mm-hmm. recently moved there. I was working for a radio station. I didn't know anyone apart from like the people that I worked with. And I'd gone out on a night out, my first ever night out in, in Reading, in where we used to live. Um, and I was out with like my, some of my workmates and... I just bumped I just was like chatting I, I was like I'm quite a chatty person as you might have already, uh, gathered yeah <laughs> and uh yeah we I was like having a drink at the bar and he he was like with some other friends and I was chatting to like you know just chatting to people and um he was just standing there and he was actually I actually thought he was really rude when I first met him because he didn't really say anything and he didn't smile and it was like he was like looking around like he wanted to be anywhere but, but oh, no. where he was right then <laughs> um and I was talking to his friend who was just like you know making conversation about like what you know what you're doing in Reading and do you live around here and all that kind of stuff and I just thought he was really rude and then it was quite funny because later on um he lost uh, all his friends uh, and then he I was back at the bar getting another drink and he came over and he was really chatty at that point probably because he'd had a few drinks by that time and he'd lost all his friends so he had no one else, <laughs> no to, one else talk to talk to <laughs> and I think I actually said to him like oh right now you want to talk to me um but yeah we we just kind of like bumped and then we would sort of nothing happened nothing happened we didn't like there was no like you know snogs or anything like <laughs> snogging do they even still say that now <laughs> there were no snogs on the dance floor um but we would Reading's quite a small town and so you know you always kind of end up in the same places and so yeah we just kind of would always end up bumping into each other again and then eventually went on a date and yeah, got together pretty soon after that. The rest is history. Very unoriginal. No, no, <laughs> Very unoriginal quite... and un- unglamorous. I don't know, but is that not quite unusual to meet on a night out? I think, do many people do that these days? I, I don't, don't know. know. I mean, do many people go on nights out? I don't <laughs> know. How does it work nowadays? I mean, this was like 11, I mean, it's 2008, so 12 years ago now. Right. Um, yeah, and yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, he didn't know... He he wasn't from the area. He's from up north. He's from like around Manchester way. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't from the area. And we were all kind of like young, like out with, you know, workmates and things. And I think you just kind of, like I said, Reading's a small place. So you just kind of end up bumping yeah. into the same people all the time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> there was only, only so many places to go and people to talk to. And we ended up actually moving together. We moved in together um, after we got together, like really, really quickly um and then had our first baby within a year oh really and here we are 12 years later gosh <laughs> that's quite similar to my husband and I we um had our first oh, I can't do the calculations a year and uh, four months or something after we met no yeah. a year and five months uh yeah it's nice like that though I think when it happens it's uh it's it's just destiny I suppose if that's such a thing yeah and, um, it is funny because I it did feel like that. We we got together quite quickly, but I think for for us, like we both had other sort of relationships, and I think because um, 
in a way like because we'd had those other relationships that hadn't worked out when we actually met each other it just totally clicked. yeah it was yeah so easy so. that's the thing I think when it's really easy and there's no there's no games there's no kind of like agenda um it just yeah. is what it is it just makes you just go oh, okay this is what it's meant to be like and this is great yeah. <laughs> so you're very are, different so how are you? That, that kind of made it work yeah <laughs> he's so the reason when I thought he was being rude he's actually quite shy he's really quiet and he's naturally quite grumpy he's quite pessimistic whereas I'm quite bubbly jolly chatty and we are like literally the opposites but I think that's why it probably works that's interesting I might come back to that later when we talk about naked beach uh, if he's shy yeah <laughs> yeah that's very yeah. interesting <laughs> um, so you had um your first daughter quickly and then when did the number two come along so Freya my eldest she was born in 2011 I oh, know sorry 2010 um, got married in 2011 and then we entered a period of like a really intense period where I was working like 70 hour weeks for oh about gosh. two years I was working I was presenting a breakfast radio show and it was in a different area so I was commuting at like three half past three in the morning uh, our little girl Freya was like just a toddler mm-hmm. um and um and just working writing in the evening he's a teacher so he was working and we just sort of knew that we we didn't want to be doing that forever. And our, our aim was to kind of try and save up uh, to move and buy a house and have a bit more stability. Um, so we ended up moving to Devon um, in, oh, when was it, 2013. And by January, we bought a house and January 2014, I fell pregnant with our second daughter no. who and um, so she was born four years later um and little Effie yeah she's now six oh, same as my son do they get on they do and they don't <laughs> <laughs> it was like normal there. kind of sibling <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um they they are very different in terms of temperament they look different temperamentally they're very different and that sometimes is brilliant it works mm-hmm. really well and sometimes it isn't and I think um also the ages that they are um you know sometimes Freya just wants her own space and Effie just wants to be with Freya all the time well Freya's um, very cool be her yeah yeah or like for Effie's like helping herself to Freya's clothes and Freya doesn't like that um <laughs> and sometimes they I think this year has been a real test for their their relationship because they've been you know for whole months on end this year they were the only child that the other one saw you know mm-hmm. we were homeschooling weren't going anywhere and that was both brilliant and also really tough because there were some times when they just needed some space from each other mm-hmm. um, and they needed to be around friends, you know, their own age and they were just sick of each other. We were all sick of each other, yeah. you know, some days. And um, But then also they are very close and they are, you know, they share a bedroom. And I mean, like last night, um, they wouldn't go to, you know, we could, I put them to bed and then I could hear noises coming from upstairs. And I went and stood at the bottom of the stairs and they were singing Christmas songs for like half an hour in bed at the top of their voice, both of them together. They were, and I could hear, what, what should we sing next? And they were singing Jingle Bells and then Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. And then eventually they just sang themselves to sleep. But it just went quiet and they just like fell asleep. So yeah, they do get on really well sometimes. And then other times, you know, but I think that's just kind of normal, yeah. normal sibling stuff. Aww. And, um, 
So you, how would you describe yourself um, in the campaigning type aspect? Do you, do you describe yourself as a body positive campaigner or do you use a different term? Um, so I think body positivity is mm-hmm. it's a political movement to kind of celebrate marginalised bodies. And I make it really clear I'm a white woman. I'm a straight size woman. I'm like a size 14. That movement isn't for me to like centre myself in. So I don't ever use like the hashtag body positivity because Mm -hmm. I think now like nowadays if you look on you know the hashtag body positivity on Instagram you're presented often with you know a plethora of of people who who are not in marginalized bodies they're often like thin women who are sort of like bent over showing a roll on their tummy and the people who the movement was created by and for are sort of pushed to the outskirts so I don't I don't use that term however I would consider myself an ally in the movement. Um, so I, I basically refer to myself as a body image campaigner because I am campaigning, you know, with a specific interest for children. So, um, yeah, body image campaigner and writer and the stuff that I write and talk about um, and, you know, talk about my podcast or telly or whatever tends to be around body image, mental health. Um, but I have a real focus on how things like diet culture and all of those big like juicy subjects how they impact children yeah um because I think that often children are left out of the conversation absolutely so that's kind of what my work is around um, and where did it start from how did you become uh well yeah where did it grow from um I well so I was a I was a I'm a journalist by trade um and when I met my husband I was working for a radio station as a reporter mm-hmm. and then as I just said then I was um a presenter and over the years working as a journalist I've worked for magazines and newspapers and radio stations and I've done some tv and I've done you know been producer presenter um and then when we moved to Devon I kind of really turned to social media although I had a blog before that um for a while blogging and you know writing for other people and and then eventually Instagram kind of became a source of income yep and what I used to write about um, very much was just sort of the motherhood experience and um, sort of giving um, an alternative to the sort of glossy picture perfect version of motherhood that we <laughs> often see or we, we we used to see like you know five years ago I suppose now it is more common for people to show the other side and yeah. I think that that's a really good thing but sort of five six years ago I'd say some of the biggest sort of parenting blogs were, were not necessarily ones that were showing you know all the whole picture and all kind of yeah. yeah and so I was um you know for a while I made YouTube videos and I would sort of you know one video that I made that w- was really popular was getting a Christmas tree and I, I would always start my videos off wanting it to be perfect because I wanted to have like a pretty house and I wanted you know I, I like the aesthetics at the time I was writing for like interiors magazines and but things never went to plan. And so rather than cutting out those bits of the videos, I started keeping them in. And then those became the things that people would watch for. And the one that this like Christmas tree video was um, a very normal family day out. We went to a Christmas tree farm and to cut down a Christmas tree. And it was meant to be this like pitch perfect Christmas kind of day. And everything went wrong. There were no Christmas trees in the farm. They were like either, you know, 40 foot tall or two foot tall. <laughs> then we ended up going to you know, a garden centre, the Christmas tree didn't fit in the car. Um, so then we we had, my husband had to like leave us behind and go and take the tree home. We got home and, you know, my 
little one who was a toddler smashed all the baubles and then I came out with a terrible allergic reaction to the Christmas tree and I kept it all in the yeah (laughs) like a really bad rash all over my body and um yeah and so that was like actually um a really funny video in the end um and so I used to make like videos like that really just kind of our normal family life Mm -hmm. and then all the time behind the scenes I had been on and off diets all my life or you know quote unquote health kicks and feeling never really completely at peace in my body um but also really aware that I didn't want to raise girls who had to go through the same you know who, who felt the same way about their body as I eventually felt about mine often like it wasn't good enough mm-hmm. um and because this sort of behavior is so normal in our culture I didn't really think anything of it and I was on a, another quote-unquote health kick where actually the stuff I was doing wasn't very healthy at all really looking back it was you know the pretty disordered eating very much like about restriction mm-hmm. exercise but in a way that was more about punishing my body rather than sort of celebrating what it could do it didn't yeah. feel good um and um I like my my eldest daughter at the time asked me you know why I was eating what I was eating I, I was weighing spinach she asked me why I was weighing spinach and I didn't really have a response for her and that was the moment when I started realizing actually if this is what I need to do to make my body look like this then maybe this isn't what my body's meant to look like mm-hmm. and so behind the scenes I started researching reading about this subject reading about body image and diet culture and how it intersects with conversations around other sort of systems of oppression the patriarchy all of this kind of like really interesting stuff um and I thought well I've got you know, one one thing I'm good at doing is talking and writing. I'm a good communicator. That is what I'm, you know, that's what I, that's what I'm trained to do. Yeah. That's what my that's job is. Gift. So, yeah. So maybe I can use some of those skills to, talk, to start talking about this stuff instead. Um, and so that's how I ended up um, sort of making, you know, writing about this and, and blogging less about sort of you know weaning and sleep and mum life and more about diet culture and body image and mental health and how these subjects intersect with motherhood and parenting and um and how they're not like separate things it's kind of part of the overall experience yeah um and started making you know videos about it and that was then sort of how I ended up doing what I what I do now um yeah it was kind of a gradual process I'd say um like with anything I guess yeah absolutely and I've I've written a question about um like why you started focusing on children but as I was writing it I thought well there's there's kind of no point as we need to first sort of go back a step because we can't focus on children without focusing on our the grown-ups ourselves first so um how how do you approach that um what's what's your kind of advice there um so for me, when I started, when I started to feel good in my body, at peace in my body, as it was, without feeling like I needed to change it, mm-hmm. um, and I started eating in a way that felt good, not like measuring everything in calorie counting or feeling guilty if I had a day where I didn't eat, you know, or doing that, like, you know, that like mental arithmetic, arithmetic when you're working yeah. out, you know, how many steps you need to do to burn off whatever, once I got out of that mindset 
and I started moving my body in a way that felt good and I started actually feeling at peace with the fact that I didn't have you know a six a, a, you know a flat stomach and I'd be on holiday and just feeling the feeling of the sunshine on my tummy without worrying about what my tummy looked like then I started to notice all the messages that were coming at me that were trying to drag me back again mm-hmm. and I just thought I don't want to go back there I don't want to go back to that way of living and then I started to notice all the messages that were then in turn coming from my children um from you know books storybooks you know um tv shows the fact that all the disney princesses look all, all you know have the same kind of body um they're everywhere these messages are everywhere and and i guess for me being able to spot the messages first of all mm-hmm. and being able to unpick some of that stuff and unpack some of my own internalized biases around weight and what it means to be healthy and what i needed to be my you know myself in order to be you know valuable and a valued person and all of that kind of stuff that was like the first step but I think for me once I started to do that kind of internal work and and it, and it is work because you do have to kind of read about the stuff and because it's such a normalized thing you can't did just you, did you know, you get like any swimming up to the doing it or did you no so I I mean because it's quite what you're talking about is quite um, it's quite a process um to, to process. completely change your mindset um without anyone there to kind of have you back yeah it's a massive process and it's an ongoing process I think it's a lifelong process because mm-hmm. we live in the culture that we live in um so no I didn't get any help I think that looking back if I'd have had um if financial barriers weren't there I probably yeah. would have benefited from some therapy and I've done I I have therapy now um just because I think it's like a really positive thing no, and I'm lucky enough now to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, but I think that at the time it was more of an awakening, really. It was an awakening to like having my eyes open to the fact that this stuff even existed. So it was more about, I listened to lots of podcasts. I changed up who I was following online. I yeah. read lots of books. I, I, sort out you know articles about this stuff and then would go and like read the work of the people who've written the articles <coughs> excuse me and um I yeah so it, it was more of a kind of for me like I'm, I'm a learner I like to kind of immerse myself in in stuff in learning about things and I'm also a talker so I started a podcast I started having conversations with people talking to friends about this stuff um seeking out like seeking out new friendships with with different people mm-hmm. um who were like doing work in this area and it was it was a process and like it is a process it's an ongoing process you don't suddenly get to be like body confident and it's like this end journey because we live in the culture that we live in it's a constant unpicking of stuff and it's a constant thing of like seeing the messages and and building walls so that the messages don't seep in you know and then doing what I do now is trying to tear some of those messages down in the first place because I think that we need to have like the internal resilience but we also need to work at changing the culture that exists to make anyone feel bad in their body including children mm-hmm. um so yeah I mean I think like my first when anyone ever asked me about this my first piece of advice is that you can't unlearn a lifetime of negative messages overnight like there is no I I wish I had a quick tip and a quick hack 
to kind of like feel better but I don't because it's not possible Mm -hmm. so I think being really really gentle with yourself and practicing a bit of like self-compassion accepting that we live in this culture that we live in that celebrates thinness and vilifies fatness and says that in order to be healthy and beautiful and successful you have to have a certain type of body and I think accepting that and then looking at knowing that it's not that those messages are not true there's a multi-billion pound industry that thrives off us feeling like this Mm -hmm. and then kind of looking at where some of these messages are coming from and calling calling them out or at least not even you know calling them out to yourself and recognizing oh okay that's diet culture okay that that's you know that that's not true I'm I don't believe this I'm not you know don't subscribe to this kind of way of thinking um and it and just sort of gradually learning about this subject because it is a huge huge subject I mean there's like decades of academic research around the subject and there's many books written about it Mm -hmm. and there's lots of podcasts there's lots of information out there but it is not currently the mainstream you know the mainstream narrative is still the you know the narrative that thin is is best um and and so I think like just being really compassionate with yourself giving yourself time and giving yourself space to try and work through some of it and and on learn some of those messages and yeah. accept that it will take time mm-hmm. um but it is possible because I've done it so if I can do it anyone can do it amazing awesome mm-hmm. so why why have you then switched your focus um to to focus on children so I mean I've always been I guess when I first started writing about this stuff my thought I was still kind of unpicking this stuff myself so I was very much talking about my own personal experience and it wasn't until I started to notice how um these messages were coming from my kids because I was becoming aware of where these these messages were that I then sort of started to notice about the kids can you can you give us a few sorry a few tips uh, like a few pointers like where the messages um are coming for the children like I know they're everywhere but yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so if you think about I mean I think the most common thing that I hear from people is oh it's all social media's fault and there's no doubt that social media plays a part in how we feel about our bodies you know particularly if you're following fitspo type accounts or yeah. you know everyone in your feed all looks the same mm-hmm. um but you know my six-year-old doesn't have social media yet we know the research shows that children as young as three feel bad about their body and they're not on tiktok or instagram yeah. so where are those messages coming from they're coming from conversations that they overhear in the playground at home they're coming from you know hearing their parents talking negatively about their own body they're coming from watching you know Disney films and all the positive representation is around thinness so Mm -hmm. you know if you think like I know we have different we have baddies in Disney films look lots of different ways we've had Ursula who's like in a bigger body we've had like you know thinner baddies but we don't really have any positive representation we've never had a plus size Disney princess for example absolutely Um, and and the people who are at the center of the stories are all you know big eyes tiny waist long glossy hair Mm -hmm. um and those are the those are the bodies that children are learning are healthy and successful and beautiful and they're the ones that get love and they're the center of the story um look at you know the toys that our kids play with not just barbie but action man you know they have a certain type of body 
uh, look at the way that gender stereotypes impact how children feel about their bodies and what we're telling boys they need to be like strong and brave and what do strong brave boys look like they have big muscles they look like action man or Ken you know and mm-hmm. girls it's their job to kind of be pretty and you know like look after the home or whatever and what do, what does they look like I mean Barbie she can't even stand up she you know her feet are so <laughs> tiny she can't even stand up on her own I mean they're, coming, they're everywhere they're, they're pepper yeah they're pepper pig you know I mean look at like even just jokes about you know daddy pig's bodies is often the punchline of the joke yeah um uh, but then in school there's you know messages and this isn't I make this really clear my husband's a teacher I've got so much respect for teachers but we're asking teachers now to be everything and they have a really really big job just teaching kids and part of their job is to teach the curriculum around healthy eating and the curriculum is so rigid it's very um ironically like the end goal yeah is that we want to get kids moving their body and enjoy movement and eating lots of nutrient-dense food but the way that we're doing it is having the opposite impact and so kids are picking up messages in school about you know what is good food and what is bad food and what you need to look like in order to be healthy and is it being called good food and bad food yeah it is in some schools and and it's it's exacerbating this problem children see things in black and white they don't understand the nuance around you know actually all food has a certain level of nutrients in and actually let's look at like how some children don't even you know, it's all very well to tell children to eat vegetables, but let's look at some children don't have access to nutrient dense food. You know, we, uh, poverty may, plays a massive role yeah. in what children eat, um, you know, and safe places to play outside. And so it's such a huge subject. And like I said, these messages are coming lots. Of, I don't think it's one particular thing. I think it's lots of different things coming from lots of different places that make up this overall culture, which is ultimately telling children that in order to be healthy and in order to be successful and loved and popular um you need to look a certain way and um you know I think that's a real shame because we're raising a future generation who are going to have all the same problems that you know my generation had and but potentially even worse but not even the issues aren't just affecting their own you know their their own the way they they feel about their own body it's mm-hmm. affecting the way that they're treating other pe- people and other bodies you know so it's affecting we know that like children in higher weight categories are 63% more likely to be bullied at school so the way i kind of frame it when i'm talking to teachers about the subject is you know this subject affects all children because if you're a thin child, you're either going to be, and you look the way that we're telling kids they need to look, you're either going to be like living in fear of your body changing, or you're going to be bullying other kids because they don't have a body like you. Or if you're a larger child, you're more likely to be the child who's bullied in the playground. So kids are either going to be the bully living in fear of being bullied, or be the victim of the bullies so it affects all children this Mm -hmm. stuff um and like I said it's a massive subject and the messages are coming everywhere but I do I am optimistic positive person and I think that once you can start pointing out the messages and talking to children about them and giving them some tools to kind of be aware of them and bat them away and and also very importantly not inadvertently perpetuate these messages at home yeah um 
then I think that they stand a chance. They've got a fighting chance to come out of it unscathed. Amazing. Sorry, I didn't mean to to um, put in on you there. So um, that's all right. <laughs> so what do you, what can um, what can we do at home then? Um, so just speaking to me as if I I know absolutely nothing. Give me some tools or some way of how I can support my children. So I think the number one thing is no matter how you feel about your body, you might be, you know, going to a swimming club every week and be very wedded to the idea of changing your body. No matter how you feel about your body, you know, even if you haven't, you're not even ready to even consider doing that kind of internal work. Mm-hmm. I think just be really aware and mindful about the way that you talk about your body in front of your kids. Um, so the way that you talk about, you know, even just standing in front of the mirror, are you pulling at your clothes when you're standing in front of the mirror? Are you saying, oh no, I can't wear that bikini before I go on holiday because I need to lose some weight before I put that bikini on? Mm -hmm. Are you talking about, you know, diets? Are you talking about other people's bodies? Are you, you know, body shaming, not just yourself, but other people, even if it's just like in a, in passing, you know, oh, you know, so-and-so's put on weight or, you know, so-and-so's lost weight or, oh, that pop star, doesn't she look great now? She's, you know, having, being really mindful of the conversations that you're having around children in their earshot. Um, And then just accepting your child's body, regardless of what it looks like, you know, even if your child is a heavier weight, just being accepting of it and not, not suggesting that they need to change their body. And that doesn't mean, by the way, that I'm saying, and often people will misconstrue that, and they'll say, oh, so basically what you're saying is that children should just sit on the sofa and eat donuts all day. And no, no one is saying that. No one is saying that children shouldn't be, you know, moving their body and eating nutrient dense food. But being aware that actually if we can make children and adults feel good about their body, they're more likely to do things that make their body feel good. They're more yeah. likely to treat their body in, in a positive way. Of course. So I think you know, being really mindful of being accepting your body, even if you don't secretly feel that way, just not giving any of those messages in front of your kids. And then um, something I, I find really useful with my kids, particularly um, now they're getting a little bit older, is just practicing media literacy, which is basically just giving kids the tools to ask questions and have conversations about what they see. So when we see something on TV, if there's some kind of casual fat phobia in like Peppa Pig or something, for example, we'll talk about it and and we'll say, what do you think? What what do you think? What's the message that they're trying to say? Mm -hmm. You know, what, who made this program? How might this make someone feel? Um, What are, what are some of the ways, what are some of the tricks they're using to make you think this way? If it's a YouTube video, you know, what's the title of the video? Talking about things like clickbait, talking about, um, you know, what are they trying to sell something and just kind of giving them the tools to ask questions and have conversations and know that you don't need to have the answers all the time. Um, but just getting kids, encouraging kids to be curious and inquisitive and not just accept everything at face value. Yeah. Because I think this, you know, culture of sort of body shame is so normalized, you know, conversations about, you know, diets are just as common as conversations about the weather so if we can kind of make it less normalized and draw kids attention to, you know, some of the messages and give them some tools to kind of actually be inquisitive and challenge some of those messages, mm-hmm. I think that's a really good place to start. Um, I mean, there are loads of lots of tools, lots of things that I do at home and um, things that I kind of teach um, when I'm doing workshops and things. But those are kind of two 
really good ones, I would say. Yeah. So don't body shame yourself or other people, even if you do, even if you're having a bad body image day and you don't feel great, just being careful not to spread those messages around children and then teaching kids to ask questions and be inquisitive and not just accept, you know, things as as they are. Yeah. That's amazing. It's um, it's something that really, when I saw what, the work you were doing, it's something that just really struck, uh, stayed with me because when I was pregnant with my son, so um, nearly seven years or seven years ago, I was scared to have a girl. Um, I was really terrified because I didn't feel equipped yet. Um, I was thirty. Um, I wasn't didn't feel mentally strong enough or knowledgeable enough to to raise a girl in today's society, knowing all of the messages that come. And so the work you're doing. Um, is, is, is just brilliant and um, thank you for, for doing it. Um, at the moment, how, how are you kind of spreading that message? Um, so you say you work in schools, um, what yeah. else are you doing? So, um, so I've been, so I started um, a campaign last year, 2019, um, called the Free From Diets campaign. And initially it was just an online petition calling for a change in the way, uh, tighter restrictions around the way that weight loss products and diet clubs advertise around children. So I, I, it all started because I got a leaflet from a diet brand through my door and I was really surprised that they were allowed to do that. So I thought, mm. well, what if they don't know who's living on the other side of this door? You know, they don't know if this person has, like is recovering from an eating disorder or whatever. You can't just, you know, for someone that could be an incredibly triggering thing. Yeah. And it just seemed really aggressive. And then I realised, um, I think I went on social media, had a rant about it probably. And um, I got lots of messages from people saying, oh, yeah, this um, company or another company or, you know, this diet brand. And they've got banners and posters on my kids' school um, gates or in my yeah. kids' brownies or whatever that is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like they're not allowed to advertise to children on TV or on radio. But yet they're allowed to be in all the spaces where children are you know it's so clever because I can I can see them I don't I don't live in the UK anymore but I can see them because I remember them um like yeah I'll say I won't say brands but you know I can just see that banner on on and it from yeah it's and when when I read that on your Instagram I was like oh my gosh of course and I would have I would absorb that from a very young age I'm sure um as children these days and it's so clever it's a little bit like formula milk companies and with the clever way they get around the advertising rules and yeah um, because they say it's not it's not for the kids they're not targeting the children they're targeting the adults and they know that where where are the adults they're going to be where the children in mm -hmm. the children's spaces but even if they're not directly targeting the children the children are being exposed to these messages you know we don't have big posters for you know wine all over the, the you know or alcohol <laughs> all over the gates of, of schools you know because basically what, what what it's doing is normalizing these conversations I've just talked about the impact of conversations around diets and how damaging that can be to children well if parents are walking past a big banner for a, a, a diet club and then they're going into the playground and they're having conversations about how much did you lose at weigh-in last night mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you know what's your current then actually it's just normal children are absorbing these messages they're everywhere and um, yeah, so I, that was kind of initially, it was like an online petition and then it kind of expanded and grew and I started a website and I got like people who were kind of ambassadors for it, talking about it on their own social media feeds. We had a round table discussion and we had like various different people. We had people from Girl Guides come along, Amazing. a GP, another activist, um, a, a ther- eating disorder therapist, and we all kind of 
had um, like a two hour round table. And one of the things that came out of it was, well, um, maybe we need to, if while we're trying to change the rules at the top, so ultimately we need the government to say, just like they do with so-called junk food are not allowed to advertise within 100 metres of a school. Mm-hmm. We also need to have those rules for weight loss brands mm-hmm. um, because we know that the impact, the health impact on kids for a poor pod- body image is, is really damaging. So actually we need to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not arguing for these brands not to exist because I know I'm one person and that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. But there's no rule to say that they could not just put their A-boards out half an hour before their meeting. They need, don't need to have a banner on the school gates, you know. We could need clear legislation that says you're not allowed to do this you know because until that exists they will continue to do it so we thought well while we're trying to work on that we'll try and make change from the inside so let's try and talk to the teachers make them aware of the damaging impact of some of this stuff um and and lots of teachers are aware of it to a certain extent already but what we're also then hearing is well actually we don't know we, we might be inadvertently creating harmful environments where children can't love their bodies as they are and they might be impacting their bodies but we don't know because we don't have any there's very few resources around this subject there's like very little training um you know we're busy doing our jobs being teachers working all hours and I and I absolutely know that the case yeah. because you're married to one um yeah so then we but we'll actually what about if we did a, a workshop what about if we created a workshop and we put it out to various different surveys and all of the overwhelming response from people was yes we need a workshop about this for teachers and youth leaders you know brownies leaders you know dance teachers whatever any adult who ever works with children so we started doing these workshops back in the summer and I've got a team of people who who do it with me um and that has then developed into something else. So next year, we're going to be launching, we've just registered as a community interest company. So we're going to be able to actually offer a whole range of resources, including workshops and classes for parents Oh, as I was well. going to ask you doing parents. Yeah. That's yeah. So I'm doing like a, a masterclass in January, which is the first one that's going to be for parents. But we've got a whole load of resources that we're developing physical resources as well as um, online digital resources, you know, a mixture of kind of educational um, resources and things that people can use with kids to make kids feel better. So things like affirmation cards. I know it sounds really woo-woo, like affirmation. No, it doesn't. I'm a midwife. We do hypnobirthing. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. So you know, like how how much of an impact affirmation is going to have. And so just things like that. you know, lots of different resources um, for parents and teachers to hopefully change some of the cult- this culture that we're living in yes. um, while continuing with the advocacy work. And um, yeah, other big things as well. I'm not allowed to talk about that, but, but big things that are coming um, that will hopefully, I don't know, put a little dent in this huge armour of diet culture that we're all living in it's incredible and and will the workshops be online or will they be physic um you have to be physically present um so when we first developed them this was like pre-pandemic yeah <laughs> it was in january and um the plan was we were going to go into schools and deliver them face to face and mm-hmm. and the people so um there's um four other people who are like workshop leaders who who i've trained and they all come from like either teaching or counseling backgrounds and they're all over in different parts of the country in the UK. Um, but then obviously Corona hit. 
So once that happened, we couldn't get into schools. We started offering them over Zoom and actually we've only ever done them over Zoom. Um, and we the masterclass that's going to be delivered online in, in a private Facebook group. And we're looking at other online resources. So there will be options, hopefully, once it's safe. Mm-hmm. to either have us come in to your school and deliver a face-to-face session. We want to create stuff for kids as well, because all of the stuff that we're doing is very much for adults, about educating them about ways to create, we call them body-happy spaces where children can thrive. Um, but it would also be great to create more resources that we can actually use with children Absolutely, themselves, or yeah, at least yeah. resources for adults to use with the children in their care. Um but at the moment, it's all being done online. Um, and we I think that actually, because we've had people join us from schools in Europe, we've had people school, join us from schools in America. So I think that we definitely need to continue to offer this, like the results No, absolutely, because obviously the podcast features yeah, everywhere. So I'm sure people from all around yeah. have to be involved. And, and it's not just a UK issue, you know, this God, is no. like... <laughs> It's, it's it's everywhere you know so I think like being able to help people all around the world is a really positive thing um but yeah we will have the option hopefully to go into schools as well in the UK um but it's just not safe to do that no, at the moment. no. it's the same over here no one's allowed to externally come in um yeah. at the moment it's actually much stricter here our children are in masks and things and... oh really yeah, yeah. it's it it's lovely <laughs> yeah it's, it's so bizarre isn't it yeah yeah I get what they're doing but um you know they're happy and safe and um, that's the main thing and mm. they're learning which is great and they're they're all um kids are so adaptable so they're, they're doing they're doing brilliantly with with they're doing better than I would do that's for sure I think um I wonder like I do wonder in 10 years time what they're going to remember of this year what, no, what will the overriding things that they'll remember be from this historic year that mm-hmm. is going to go down in history and no one's ever going to forget no you know? no um, my son was asked at the end of his school year last year like <laughs> what was the what was the thing you know the thing you really remember from this year and I'm like well we've done five months of homeschooling mummy's yelled at you a lot we've fallen out we've had great times with you've not seen your friends for because we were on full lockdown where we had to like get permits to leave the house and things um literally weren't allowed out for I think I think it was five weeks it wasn't horrendous but it was still a long a long period of time um and so the fact you couldn't play or see any friends or see any children because all he had was a baby sister um and he was like I think it was a school trip to the beach and um it's it's crazy and I'm like what, but what about all of this stuff that's gone on and it wasn't it wasn't relevant it was it was the the school trip to the beach is what the, the main yeah. thing he, he would remember from his year one experience and we've also just had class photos done and for whatever reason they've done ones with them with masks on um oh. we're just looking at them going but, but why but I'm assuming that some parents will probably buy them to look on look back on maybe in, yeah. in 10 years time and go oh remember that personally I'm not interested in <laughs> in remembering no. uh, that period but it's uh strange times for sure um, do you feel that you've learned anything about yourself this year though sorry I'm not now interviewing no, you but no. do you <laughs> gosh no do one's you feel that you <gasps> learned <laughs> um well I don't know we we as a family we're quite um we're quite insular anyway. We're quite home family anyway. We spend a lot of time together and we spend a lot of time at home. So that side of it, we really was okay. 
um for for me my my main issue was my son because I I just my heart broke for him because he he needed to see children he just needed and I found that really hard um but then yeah for, for myself I think uh this is where I'm going to big up my husband he's incredible because I'm more of a oh my god this is going on and we can't leave the house and this is terrible and he he turned he just always turns everything around and makes it positive but what about this and we're having this amazing time doing this and why don't we focus on this and and to be fair the podcast has come out of it um we're also um just about to launch a cloth nappy business as well which has come out of covid so you know with he with his help we've really like managed to come up with some positive things and make it work for us and and hopefully help um in a different way not in a covid way but society in, in another way so um i think we've learned that we can we can survive you know we we mm. can survive um and thank god for the internet because um mm. if, if not it would be hard not being able to because for us obviously we're far from home and it there's nothing like not being able to fly um mm. makes it you feel extremely far from home and and so i particularly got ex- very very homesick um really mm. which i've never had before um but as well for us it was very bad during the summer so you guys were, I know you were allowed, it was restricted, but you were allowed out for a period of time. So all social media was showing me was beautiful countryside walks and beach walks. And we were just melting. Um, we, we could, you know, you could, it's, it's very difficult in the summer here. Um, there's ways around it. And, um, but you're on a very restricted period of time. You can actually leave the house and it, it's not always that enjoyable because it's so hot, even that, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, it can be 40 degrees. So, um, so that was, that was really tough. Um, so yeah, I felt very far from home, but now you come out of it. And so I think the thing is, you know, everything is just staying positive, like you're saying, um, and you will get there. Things will think, and it's just finding the positives in everything, um, everything that happened. And we try to do that as well as a family, like each week kind of like what's been good and, and, uh, think of all the good things that we've, we've managed to do and we'd have movie night and ice cream night and that sort of, yeah. No, like you, you were saying about your, you were saying about your kids being resilient, but it sounds to me like you, you, you're very resilient. You've like managed to really kind of work to look at the positives and be resilient this year as well. I think like that's such a massive thing, like to to stop and just take a moment to like applaud yourself for that because that's Aww. like something that I think like definitely for me this year I have not I've been so busy and I haven't always taken the time to stop and think actually mm-hmm. look what I've done this like look what all of us have done this year we, yeah we've got through it yeah you know and it's not been easy but I think so much time as mums we're so busy looking after everyone else we don't always take a, like stop to celebrate ourselves for a second no it's true but again like um again as a family we always we do try and there's no point focusing on negatives because it doesn't get you anywhere all it does is drag you down so we're trying to kind of rid ourselves of anything negative um negative people we distance ourselves from now and I think it yeah you have to because if not it's it's survival mode isn't it really and um you just keep looking looking to the looking to the positives and it gets better eventually um so thank you thank you I've never been asked a question before in the podcast <laughs> 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 it's like old habits die hard and like the journalist in me yeah <laughs> that's why podcasts are so great though because you can have a proper chat no it's it's lovely two-way chat yeah um (laughs) so back to you I just wanted to um (laughs) take it off to serious well not that Naked Beach wasn't serious but um just talk about your experience there because it looks such fun um (laughs) how was it being naked all the time how did that feel (laughs) 
it was liberating it was um yeah gosh so it was a while ago that we filmed that show now it was filmed in 2018 so um yeah like oh coming up like next year it'll be three years since we three years yeah three years since we filmed it It came out in 2019 um it was surreal I think looking back it almost doesn't feel real I'm still like did I do that because it was kind of you know it was very last minute you know one minute I'm taking the kids to school in my home in Devon and then you know a week and then I was in London, you know, I was contacted about it and I'm in London talking to the producers about it. And then a week later, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'm in Greece. Um, and it was just, so, it was sort of, I didn't really have time to really think about <laughs> what I was doing really, to God. be honest. Um, but we should say that was, you were you were yeah. there for a week with each couple or each three group of three and you were, yeah. you were naked all week, but you had body paint on. Um, um. Yeah, so basically it, it was based on a social experiment by um, Dr. Keon West, who is, um, he works at Goldsmiths University and he had created this study, he's psych- psychologist, he'd created a study um, that found that the, when people spend time around people with a range of different kind of normal naked bodies, mm-hmm. they feel better about their own body. And he did this study this scientific research that proved that was the case so naked beach was based on this study and there were eight of us who were all hosts and we all very different totally different people but also totally different bodies um and three people would come out each week and stay with us in in this villa and they would all have their own insecurities around their body Mm -hmm. um, and their own experiences and it was really interesting because, you know, they'd arrive on the first day and often, you know, it's, oh, it's hot. It was in the summer. So, you know, particularly like the last couple of episodes that we filmed, it was really getting hot. Mm-hmm. And they'd arrive and often they'd be like in hoodies, even like sometimes a hat oh, um, wow. and not even wanting to take their jumper off. Um, but by the end of the week, um, they, they would spend the week with us and they would do lots of fun things. And we would have like some, you know, like really serious, deep and meaningful like chats and and they would really like tell us their stories and then we would just do silly fun stuff like I don't know playing rounders or you know having you know going swimming or whatever um and we the whole time the entire time we were in body paint so you can't see cameras were off you were (laughs) yeah Thanks for an so, easy, um, easy suitcase. It must have been light. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, like, if I went to the shops, I wasn't just, like, in body... But whenever we were filming, we were we were in body paint. And and the, the people who came out to stay with us never saw us in anything other than Oh, really? Okay, so you, no. you kept quite separate out of filming times. So, well, so they, we all lived in the villa together, but, like, at the end of the day, you don't go to sleep with your body paint on. But at the end of the day, like, you'll go and shower off your body paint after you've, like, been filming all day. And then at that point, if you're, like, putting your pyjamas on, you can't just wander out in your pyjamas. You, you, that's it. You, you know, you're in. you have to... Yeah. So, um, so they only saw us in body paint. And actually, after... Um, you know, after a while, it just it, it just felt very normal. I think it it's quite liberating, not thinking about your body. You spend we spend so much time, even when we don't realise that we're thinking mm-hmm. about our body. Mm-hmm. We spend we're thinking about our body, like we're yeah. aware of it. And I think when you're in a an environment where everyone is just completely free, living their life, like having experiences, and you're you know 
the way that your clothes feel on your skin or you know the way that your you look isn't necessarily like at the forefront of your mind and everyone's just kind of getting on with it and you're like well this is what this is what my body is that there's no I can't hide it this is it it's actually a really liberating feeling um and I went on that show feeling really good about my body and happy but um I think the thing and this is a thing that a lot of people don't necessarily get is that um my feelings about my body are positive because I know that my body isn't the most important thing about me mm-hmm. and that was for me was the turning point mm-hmm. and I thought well actually I don't have I don't have a sick I don't have like a flat stomach and I do have cellulite and I do have wobbles but a like that's totally normal and fine and it's what my body looks like be actually it's the least interesting thing about me it's not what makes me me (laughs) and anyone who's gonna judge me for what my body looks like they're not my people they're not they're not you know they're not their their opinions are not opinions that I agree with so actually I would be much more hurt if someone judged me for being I don't know like a horrible person you know, or unkind person than if they said, oh, you know, you shouldn't wear that because you haven't got the right body or mm-hmm. you shouldn't be on TV and body paint. Um, so, yeah, um, it was a it was a really uplifting experience. It was very it was tough because I was away from my children for a long time and it was very emotionally, you know, we were we were going through these experiences. I'm like a real empath and I really keenly often experience what other people are feeling. Yeah. Um and I want everyone to be okay. And I'm a mum and I kind of yeah. like I, I wasn't able to like be a mum when I was out there because my kids were at home. So I was quite tired because it's the emotional labor of like looking after other people. Not that anyone asked me to do that, but it's naturally like what I do. Um, and sort of worrying if everyone's okay. Do you know, I could um, I could see that in your face. Um, you, you just, you've got such a beautiful face, um, but oh. it's so, um, uh, I can't think, like a proud mum all the time. Like you were just so encouraging um, just with your smiles and your eyes. And, and when, and, and on the last day, you know, when they do the, the reveal, um, you were just so, um, yeah, just like a little proud mum. It was beautiful to watch. <laughs> It was so lovely. I did feel like that though. I did like, I did really, I mean, I I think the people who came out on that show, like it was such a brave thing to do to really sort of come out and know and, and not just like do it for yourself, but also be, you know, the cameras were there and they're sharing their story with, you know, they don't know who's going to be watching. And, and, and I just thought like, I felt like very, honored and trusted that people were able to confide mm-hmm. you know in me and, and and the others and and talk to us about this stuff and actually like what a lucky thing that we were able to be part of their experience you know and part of something that hopefully would make them feel better and we didn't know if it would we hoped that it would um and I'm still in touch with lots of the people that Are came you? out oh that's so nice um, yeah I mean David who was um he was on the second episode um, and he was, I was in the hot, I don't know if you watch Naked Beach, but on the second episode, there was a moment where he was in the hot tub, me and him were in the hot tub and he took his shirt off and he had a real thing about, he like, he would go on holiday and not go in the swimming pool and not want to take his top off, you know, and he would wait until all his friends had like gone off to the bar to get a drink and then he would quickly take his shirt off and jump in the pool. He would mm. sit there sweltering before yeah. he'd do that. And so for him to like, just take his top off and be in a hot tub and just 
being like his swimming shorts. <clears throat> that was a massive thing for him. And it was a real turning moment. Um, and he has gone on, he's like gone on to thrive. He, he went back um, to the UK and he got a different job. He was just so much more confident in himself. He put himself forward for promotions. He's done like more TV, you know, I, I believe like more TV stuff. And, and I just think like, I feel so lucky that I was part of that experience with him and yeah. I got to meet these people and um, not, and obviously not just the people that came out to be on the show to be helped, but the other hosts as well, you know, and some of them are really, you know, they're really good friends of mine now. And I'm feel really lucky to have them in my life. Oh, that's beautiful. And you, mm-hmm. sorry, just going back to your husband then, who you said, real, uh, <laughs> how did yeah. he feel? How did he feel about you being uh, like, I guess obviously he wouldn't have done it perhaps but how did he feel about you doing it so I think lots of people lots of people ask that because I was the only one of the hosts who who was like a mum you know Mm -hmm. and so I think like for me it was almost like more of a a risk of like what are people going to say like first of all like what people going to say that you're leaving your kids for a month because I did get some flack online no you know doing that yeah um but also like you know oh it's always this idea that once you become a mum, you sort of, you only exist for your children and you should sort of be invisible and you shouldn't be showing your body because you might embarrass your children mm. or you might, you know, you, you need to sort of just stay at home and be out of sight and not be seen. And it's interesting because it's often not things that dads get levelled against. And it is, I feel like it's kind of a yeah. thing perhaps, that women Perhaps you could get. make your children really proud of you as well, you know. That's yeah, well, thing. exactly. And that's why I did it. And they told me that, you know when they watched they watched the show both of them and they did say that they did feel proud um and you know I don't know I guess as parents we're always going to embarrass our kids in some way or another (laughs) anyway so you know generally with my singing um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but yeah he he is um he would probably describe himself as long suffering because he just kind of rolls (laughs) his eyes now and just like oh god you know what are we doing now? Okay, I'm filming you. Like we did, made, I made like a silly video for Instagram a year, uh, like at the beginning of the year, and it was in January, and I was like on the beach in my bikini and a big pair of wellies, <laughs> and a really hat, and I was yeah, getting him to like take a video, and he was like, "Oh, Molly, everyone's walking their dog, everyone's <laughs> looking." I was like, "Doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Just like, just ignore him." He's like really embarrassed, but I think he. He ultimately is proud of me because he knows it's something that I really believe in. So he supports me um, with, you know, he doesn't always understand why I care so much about it, but he understands that I care. And the more um, the more he kind of listens and, and engages with the stuff that I'm like, you know, occasionally he'll read an Instagram caption or he'll read something <laughs> that I've written. And then he kind of gets it he understands it and I think at the time like when I went out there he was very like he was more concerned like by the day-to-day stuff like how he was gonna manage like getting the kids to school and even I mean ironically he had more help that month than I'd ever had (laughs) so he like you know but I think that he was more like the logistics and I don't think he actually really thought about the fact that I was going to be out there doing you know this show (coughs) until afterwards when he actually watched it you know when it came out he watched it and he felt proud um but I mean like a lot of this stuff like ultimately you know some people asked me when it came what what did your husband say Mm -hmm. you know were you not you and I said well 
he was supportive but even if he hadn't have been it's not up to him because it's my body and it's up to me if I show my body on the internet or I I go on tv in body pain that's it's up to me because it's my body and he knows that and actually if he was someone who was like well no you're my wife you shouldn't show your body. well then we probably wouldn't be together no I don't because, think so my question you know, wasn't about it was it was more like how did he feel because he's shy and and you're not it yeah wasn't about I mean God, whether you had his approval not, or not because it's not it's not something he would ever do 100 percent. he would never but he wouldn't do he would I would never do what he does you know he's yeah. he's a teacher and I've like huge huge admiration so, for what he does yeah um and he's like wouldn't he would never be able to do what I do and I guess you know that's sometimes what makes marriage really difficult because we are so different but it can also be what makes it good absolutely that's awesome thank mm-hmm. you so um I asked three questions at the end of the podcast um the first one being if um I always embarrass myself because I generally don't know the woman um in the answers but if you could have coffee or gin or wine with um any other female be it um alive dead fictional um family who would that be and why I've been thinking about this when you because you obviously gave me a heads up that you're going to ask me and I would really love to say like someone really profound like a really inspirational you know person um because there are so many like so many incredible books that I've read you know particularly like the last few years and Mm -hmm. real trailblazers who were doing incredible work but actually the person that I would really right now love to just have a cup of tea with is my sister and I've hardly seen her this year. She lives in a different part of the UK. She had a baby earlier this year. I've only seen him a couple of times. I get to talk, I talk to her regularly, you know, on WhatsApp video call and see her little baby. And But I really miss her. And that if I could have a cup of tea right now with one person and just have a chat, it would be my sister. <laughs> so not someone really No, profound, it's lovely. But... Um, and will the, because I'm not completely up to date with the Christmas, the rules in the UK, will will Christmas allow you to see her? So I could, but we've all decided that we're going to not do that this year just because of what her job is and what her partner's job right. is. Um, it's quite high risk. Mm-hmm. And I think until, um, until things are safer, we're just sort of keeping our distance. So I have seen her once since the pandemic, but in a very socially distanced way. Um, you know, I haven't held her baby or anything since so we've been very like um strict with it for safety reasons um so yeah I'm just really looking forward to for it to be over for me to actually go and like have a cup of tea with her and give her a hug yeah you know and have a cuddle with a little baby yeah of course (laughs) smell smell their head need to smell their head yeah (laughs) (laughs) and have you found yourself saying um anything since becoming a mum that your mum used to say to you so um I'm I'm a real worrier um despite really it doesn't mean it, optimistic yeah. that you're a worrier That's yeah I think like often like we have this idea that people if people are outgoing um or like do fearless things like you know Naked Beach or, <laughs> um, the week that Naked Beach came out I also did a skydive and so people think like oh I'm really brave and like I'm, I'm fearless I'm not fearless at all I worry a lot I'm really like I'm a real like overthinker of things um and probably like when this podcast ends, I'll probably spend ages thinking, oh no, did I talk too much? Because that's what I tend to do. Like I get really chatty and I'm very sociable, but I overthink things. Um, and when I was a kid, my mum used to say to me, if I'd be nervous about something, it would never stop me doing it. And I'd always feel amazing afterwards. But my mum would say to me before, I'd have like a like 
last minute nerves and she'd say hold your nerve hold your nerve you can do it hold your nerve and I found myself saying that particularly to my eldest daughter because she's temperamentally quite like me she's she's a worrier she overthinks things um she often will try and back out of doing something because it's a bit scary mm-hmm. I'll say to her like hold your nerve because you can do it Aww. and you're going to feel so proud of yourself afterwards you're going to it'll be such an achievement afterwards even more of an achievement because you're so scared so yeah hold your nerve <laughs> and has she done things yeah she's not, I mean she regularly just really impresses me with I mean even just in the pandemic like she was really nervous about going back to school because mm-hmm. her sister went back to school because her sister of was course, in yeah, 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 she yeah, went back yeah. earlier um and she was very nervous about going back and seeing her friends and you know like she's sort of at the age now she's 10 you know going on 11 so it's all like friendships and being popular matters now and all of that kind of stuff she was really nervous about it and I was so proud that she although she was nervous about it she got quite upset and really anxious she did it and she did it without a fuss and she enjoyed it and she's absolutely flying Oh, um, amazing and yeah she's done lots of things over the years that she hasn't wanted to do whether it's like a dance exam or whatever um she's wanted to do it she has really wanted to do it but she's almost chickened out at the last yeah. minute because it's almost felt too felt too the overwhelming in, yeah yeah but then she's seen the fear and she's looked it in the face and she's done it anyway yes. and I feel so proud of her for doing love that. her well <laughs> done that's awesome <laughs> and are there any um mum hacks or if you don't believe in hacks advice um I guess especially around what we've discussed that you could share so I know I, I said I've, I've talked a lot about the importance of conversations and um I think that particularly when it comes to body image stuff like you might think your your kid doesn't have any issues with their body or have any judgments about other people because they shape their body mm-hmm. we don't know this until we actually start having chats with our kids yeah and I think just generally it's all very well for me to sit here and say or have a conversation sometimes actually it's really hard to have a conversation because you're busy and you're making lunch and you're making dinner and <coughs> excuse me you need to you know get the kids to school and and I think that sometimes it's really easy to go days and days and days without actually properly connecting, you know, with the people who you're closest to in your life. You just can't yeah. take it for granted no. that they're gonna, you're going to talk to each other. So one thing that I try and do, and I don't know if it's helpful or not, but every day um, we walk to school and we walk home. And when we walk home from school, um, I try and like just create an atmosphere where my kids well, we could just have a chat, really. Um, and what when they first started school, I found I would say to them, oh, what have you done today? Or did you have a good day? And they would work. be like, yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And they would be like, yeah, fine, nothing. And you get like, no. So now, like, when I'm talking to them and I want to have a chat with them, I'll say really pointed questions like, who did you sit next to at lunchtime today? Or, no, you I do the exact program? same thing. Who did you have snacks with? did you play with and yeah although actually now um, it doesn't matter because they have to sit in the same place and yeah or like what what um what story did you have at circle time or you know and and I think like asking pointed questions like that can get kids to open up and start talking and once they start talking about whatever it is they're talking about answering your question what I find with my kids um and often when, when you're walking is a really great time to have a conversation because you're walking side by side. No, I was going to say, I'm, I'm with you. 
hundred percent. Because again, you're you're distracted. You're doing something else, um, and it's not like yeah. you're staring at each other in, in a, a table like opposite one another. Yeah, so it just allows that kind of freedom. Actually, I just spoke yeah. to a lady yesterday um, who runs a running club for um, people who are going through sort of infertility and trying to conceive for, um, issues. And it's the same, same, same concept that actually you can't, it's really hard to meet other women doing this. But actually, if you meet and you go for a run or go for a walk together, then you can open up and you can support and you can um, you can help one another that way. And it's, it's a similar yeah. thing, isn't it? You just um, It's exactly like I think going for a walk or even a drive like if you're driving a car like you're sitting next yeah. to each other that's a re- that's often me and my husband have our best chats when we're in the car and, and we my drive husband and I go for a run that's when we sort out our yeah. life <laughs> yeah and I think like that so yeah I guess I don't know if it counts as a hack but if you want to have chats with your kids and you want to make you know um space in your day then just even asking pointed questions that can then open the door for them to start opening up about other things and maybe doing it when you have a walk or yeah, when you're driving absolutely. somewhere. <laughs> no, I used to also use the drive time, but now he wants to listen to podcasts. <laughs> <That's it>. oh. <laughs> he's, he's discovered podcasts, so I, I've lost him for those, but we still managed to all run. <laughs> um, Molly, thank you so, so I can't thank you enough. It's been awesome. Um, I've really enjoyed speaking to you. And um, just briefly, how can people get in touch with you? Because I'm going to ask you to give me a big list of um, resources that people can access, which I'll put in the show notes. But um, what's your Instagram handle? Um, so it's at Molly J Forbes and it's Molly with a Y, J and then Forbes is F-O-R-B-E-S. Nice and easy. And then, um, yeah, would you be happy to do that so um, people can yeah. see how to access everything you're offering? Um, of course. Amazing. Yeah, I'll send you some links. Thank you. That's really awesome. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. No worries. Thanks for having me. I'm so grateful to Molly for speaking with me today and sharing snippets of her infinite wisdom. She's kindly given us a huge list of resources, which I've put in the show notes, should you want to read up further. I'd love to hear from you if Molly has given you food for thought, struck a chord, or even brought back memories from your own childhood. From now on, I vow to be more aware of the language and images my kids are exposed to. And when I see something that doesn't sit right, I'll call it out and we'll talk it through, probably with a mug of hot chocolate and marshmallows. I'm taking a little break for the festive season, but we'll be back in January with more incredible stories from fabulous women. For obvious reasons, I know how hard Christmas can be if you're going through infertility or have experienced baby loss. I just want to say that I see you. You're not alone. And if you ever want to chat or rant or have a socially distanced social media cry, then I'm so happy to be here for you. Don't hesitate to be in touch. Wishing you all a very Merry Christmas and the happiest of New Year's. Bring on 2021.